Hello and welcome to Beyond Consulting, brought to you by ECA Partners, the only podcast dedicated to helping our listeners understand the wide variety of options they have available to them after a career in consulting. Put a different way, you can think of this show as addressing the question, what can I do with my life after countless hours spent in PowerPoint and Excel? I'm Ken Canera, host of Beyond Consulting and CEO of ECA Partners, a specialized project staffing and executive search firm focused on former management consultants and private equity. Each week, I get to host guests that have spent time in consulting and made some sort of pivot or a career change. The goal is to help our audience understand all the options available to them and ideally learn from them, both in terms of what they did right and things they wish they would have done differently. Today, we welcome Kevin Waddell to the studio. Kevin, thanks so much for joining us. Very happy to be here. Thanks, Kevin. Maybe it's best if we start with a little bit of background on yourself. I know right now uh, you're uh, president and COO of a private equity, used to be a private equity owned uh, portfolio company, but let me let me get the kind of like full story from you and then we'll jump into that. Okay, sure. So going back, so I graduated uh, from Stanford University. I have a bachelor's and a master's in electrical engineering. Um, out of that, I joined Hewlett Packard, spent a couple of years designing chips, and then a couple of years designing computer systems, decided I wanted to get a little broader exposure. So I went back to business school, went back to Stanford again. Uh, so I, I, ble- I bleed cardinal red. Um, and it was in business school where I found consulting, oddly enough, um, some of some of my engineering colleagues even had gone into consulting, investment banking, and you know some of those types of fields, and I'd never even heard of it. But I got to business school and heard about consulting. I was like, "Wow, that sounds great! Uh, project work, lots of variety, the opportunity to get lots of experience really quickly." And so I said, "That sounds really interesting and really exciting. Let me go pursue that." And so that's what I did. And I joined the Boston Consulting Group in the Chicago office, uh, worked in Chicago for 11 years. Um, and then BCG was looking for people to go to uh, Central and Eastern Europe and a few other places uh, to support growth in those markets. And I had the chance in college to go overseas, didn't do it, had the chance early in my career, didn't do it. Um, talked to my wife. At the time, my kids were uh, kind of fairly young, uh, nine, uh, four, and two. Uh, and so we talked about it, and we ended up going to Warsaw, Poland, for a variety of reasons. Uh, stayed in Warsaw for seven and a half, supposed to be three years, stayed for seven and a half. And then when I left Poland, I left BCG, um, moved to Portland, Oregon, started networking in the Portland business community, found a small private equity group based in Portland, a group called River Lake Partners, who was in the process of making an investment in Semitor. And that's what I was looking for, was either to do consulting on my own or to join a small business, help grow it and run it. And so River Lake put me in, not immediately as CEO. Uh, I was in doing business development and running a portion of the business, but with the idea that I would eventually take over from the then founder and CEO who wanted to get back into doing sales and business development and not running the business. And so I took over as president in president and CEO in 2015. And then we went through a couple of changes of control. The most recent one in December of this past year of 2021. And I'm still here running the business. We're now part of a much larger strategic 
company, strategic, private equity backed strategic company, a company called Flowworks. Excellent. No, thanks for sharing. So maybe, Kevin, if we could just start by telling our listeners what it, what is Semitour and what what are the different kind of products and services that you all offer? So uh, the, what I simplistically say is Semitour is a, is a high-tech plumbing store. Um, but what we, we are a classic distributor. So we buy product from multiple suppliers. We, we serve a, a classic distribution role where... It's uneconomic for suppliers to go to sell direct to customers, uh, but because we can consolidate volume and sales activity across multiple product lines, it, it's economic for us. And so we buy product, hold inventory, and sell it. We have three primary lines of business. The, the biggest business is what we call high purity. And what it is, is it's everything you need pipe valves, fittings, regulators to carry liquids and gases to primarily a semiconductor tool and then what you need to take it away. And it's called high purity because you want those liquids and those gases ideally to be perfectly pure because any impurities could eventually make their way onto the wafer uh, and thereby reduce the wafer yield, which you know the, the Intels and the global foundries and the Samsungs of the world don't like. And so that's that's what we provide. And we also provide similar products in what we call sanitary. That's uh, life sciences, biopharmaceutical, pharmaceutical, food and beverage. But it's same types of products, stainless steel, plastic, uh, pipe valve fittings. They're, these are very highly engineered. You know, they're, they're cleaned, double bagged, for example, in both high purity and sanitary products. Um that require a lot of careful handling, a lot of technical expertise to sell, um, and then similar products in industrial markets for us that we've entered via acquisition in mining, for example, um, power generation, um, and the like. So, you know, big picture, distributor, buy, hold inventory, sell, um, and like I said, kind of a high-tech plumbing store. Yeah, I, I think the high-tech plumbing store uh, uh, analog to definitely tracks. Okay, and, and so so you're obviously have, uh, you're, you're in charge of the business. Could you tell us a little bit about kind of what your role encompasses? Because I, I think, you know, a lot of people hear titles like CEO, president, COO, right? And they, they just assume, you know, uh, things. Uh, but tell us kind of like how, what, maybe what you focus on. Obviously, you have overall accountability, but what do you, what do you kind of focus on on a, on a day-to-day? in a year to year yeah so probably it would be three or three or four areas but you know at, at the end of the day it's, it's it's just making sure that the the business is running and running smoothly um, you know I'm sometimes I'm in triage mode where it's okay what what's what's the fire that's burning the hottest right now let me go let me go chase it but and, and it depends where things are in in the business so there have been times where you know, we, we expanded pretty rapidly and, you know, business slowed down a little bit. So we had to be very, very careful in terms of how we were managing cash. Um, you know, and, and the, the classic thing you hear in, you know, in, in business education and business school or albeit, which is, you know, you can be profitable and still go broke because you run out of cash. And, you know, we were never in danger of running out of cash, but, you know, we, we could see the tips of the trees a few times. And so in those moments, and it was for a period of about three to four months, you're focusing on 
the balance sheet, right? And you're focusing on the collections from customers. You're focusing on how long is you know your your days payable to suppliers. You're focusing on payroll and just making sure at the end of the day that you've got the the cash to be able to pay your suppliers and and, and importantly pay your people. Um, and so that's something that as a as any business, but especially as a distributor, and in the in the business we're in, there can be cycles. It can be it can be it can get pretty lumpy where demand can spike up and you're, you're ramping up inventory to support a lot of demand and then it cycles back down and you're you're you get caught you know with a little lot of inventory inventory consumes cash so you're always keeping an eye on the balance sheet but if the balance sheet is is pretty is, is firm then then what i'm looking at would be probably two or three things one working with the sales team and just <laughs> helping them um and supporting them you know it, it's uh I have the title of a president and CEO. So if I go visit a customer or a supplier, it just, it carries some, it carries some weight ostensibly, even though really I don't, I don't bring to the discussion what our salespeople and our suppliers bring, but nevertheless, if I'm in the room and I can, I can help our sales guys, you know, crack into you know new accounts, the, the sales guys in, in whatever capacity, and that's, that's, there's two pieces to that. So there's, Helping them on the call it customer and market side, and just generating new business. But it's also on the supplier side, and that's something that I think a lot of people may not really appreciate about being a distributor. And even sometimes our salespeople forget, which is there's two sides to that coin. We have two sets of customers. We have the customers that we are supporting and selling to, but we also have our suppliers, and we have to look at them as in a way, customers as well, because we have to take care of them. They've got certain needs, expectations, and so on, just like customers do. It's just the fact they're not buying from us, they're selling to us. And so I'm working on managing those two sides of the equation there. And then the other piece I spend a fair bit of time on is, is, is business development. So it's looking at potential acquisitions, potential new product lines, and working on that. And then related to the first point around managing the balance sheet, just keeping an eye on the financials and, and how the business is doing and is, is it performing relative to where we want it to be and the commitments and expectations that we've set. And if not, why not? And, and what are we going to do about it? Thanks. And and I especially kind of can appreciate your, your point on the supplier side uh, when it comes to the sales aspect. I, I think more and more... Um, the more folks start to think about suppliers, the way that we almost think about employees of our own companies, uh, the, the more that we will succeed. Just because someone's giving us a service or a product doesn't, it, you know, it doesn't mean there has to be an adversarial relationship or 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 a or an overly hierarchical uh, structure as well. Um, I, I think you win more when when you take kind of your approach. You know, it's interesting. You you bring up and you say adversarial relationship uh, because that's something that has evolved over the years. And I, I joined Semitor in 2012, so I'm approaching my 10-year anniversary. And there are a number of our supplier relationships that over that period have evolved. I don't know if I would say, I don't know if I, I wouldn't go so far as to say they were adversarial, but they were transactional, if you will, or a little bit hands-off or you know, arm's length is what I want to say. And they've evolved to the point where it really, they really have become true partnerships. And 
you know, we're, we're hand in glove together. We go and we attack the marketplace together. We win together. If we lose, we don't spend time. We, we debrief and figure out what happened, but there's not finger pointing that's going on. It's okay. That didn't work this time. Or we dropped the ball. Let's figure out how we're not going to drop the ball again. And it's gotten to the point where with some of our suppliers, we're, we're pretty deep in their own business development, helping them look at markets and opportunities and, you know, launching new product lines. And it's, it's, it's really been a real benefit to us um, in myriad ways. And I look at some of some other distributors where they, they don't have those relationships and the frustration that the suppliers have. And it just, it just creates a lot of inefficiency um, because the supplier is trying to figure out what the heck is going on with the distributor and, and vice versa, instead of spending that time figuring out how do we win together in the marketplace. Thanks for sharing that. I guess one of the things, and I don't want to kind of belabor the point because I do want to kind of get back to your journey at Semitor, but I guess why do you suppose that is the, almost like the like the audible or the default um, in, in a lot of kind of these types of like supplier relationships? I, I'm just curious. My hypothesis has something to do with kind of almost like a like coming in typically coming in like with our egos but uh curious to hear kind of your thoughts yeah and it'll come to something i suspect we'll touch on as we talk about the the consulting experience as well which is you know ultimately it just comes down to some combination of, of risk and, and and trust because you in in any relationship and especially in a business relationship if you you, you have there's the mindset of okay it's a zero-sum game, so anything you get, I give up. But you can also look at it and say, well, if we can work to, can we work together to expand the pie? And so even if I'm getting maybe a little smaller slice of the pie, I'm still better off and the pie is bigger and there's, there's plenty of pie here for, for everybody to have. And it just, it, I think it can, it, it's hard to get past that point of feeling like, okay, Anything I give, anything you get is going to come out of my hide versus, okay, I, I understand why you're asking some of these questions and let me just, let me just embrace the conversation. And, and to your point, there can be ego involved, which is if you come at it from a defensive perspective and you feel like you're being attacked, then you're going to be, you're going to play things closer to the best. But if you look at it and say, well, let me, let me understand the perspective that this supplier, this person or whomever is coming at it from. Okay. I, I see what they're trying to do. Let me help them. And that, that's how you start to change that relationship from one of being adversarial or arm's length to being one of um, collegiality, cooperation, and ultimately trust. That makes a lot of sense. Thanks for sharing. So, Kevin, we, you know, we we talk, we touched on this a little bit, but I, I guess would love to kind of hear about your journey. You said it's you're coming up on your 10 year anniversary now. You joined in 2012. Um, maybe could you just walk us through the different kind of like you know big you know obviously changes of control, but also kind of um, maybe different growth initiatives that you've kind of led since uh, joining Semitor. Sure. So. I, so over 10 years, you know, we've grown the business by, by about a factor of six um, in terms of revenue, in terms of like number of people, 
Um, in terms of when I joined, we were a Western regional distributor, pretty much the West Coast, um, three locations. We now have 12 locations. We're pretty much national. Um, and the growth initiatives have really been twofold. So one is M&A, so go out and acquire other distributors. And that's where you're looking at similar uh, lines of business, other geographies or new lines of business. And then the other channel for growth is what we call organic, which would be typically existing suppliers in, in, in new territories. And if you look at our trajectory over the last 10 years, that growth has been pretty much 50-50 between those two things. Uh, between we've done six or seven acquisitions over that over that period and um, it, and expanded into new markets with with existing suppliers. So the challenge as a distributor is um, what, what we ended up what you end up having to do is you have a lot of you have a lot of balls in the air because you never really know which one's gonna convert which one's going to yield ultimately the, the growth that you're looking for. Because at the end of the day, it's our supply. If you're thinking about organic growth and expanding into new territories or even bringing a new supplier into an existing territory, it's the supplier who makes the decision. And you can have the most compelling case in the world for why you're the best for them in that particular market. And unless they say yes you're not going to get it. Um, and the same is kind of true with, with M&A. And so it's this, it's this con, it's basically like portfolio management, if you will, saying, okay, we're just going to, we're going to work on a number of different things at the same time. We frankly don't know which of these is going to hit, but in, in any given year, two or, or three of them are going to happen. And, and then you just keep doing it and keep trying to, to develop the business while at the same time trying to, you know, staying true to your knitting. We're, we're a very technical sales organization. And so that's what we're looking for is, you know, product lines or other distributors who have that same philosophy of go in, solve the customer's problem, you know, get in and figure it out with them versus trying to just push product on them. And how do you juxtapose that with focus, right? So you talk about a, a lot of different balls in the air, right? So maybe you're looking at two or three different deals, you're pursuing a, a few different kind of organic growth strategy with suppliers. Uh, I, I get the, your, your point is well taken around, you know, let's look at a lot of poker hands, right? Um, but how do, you, how do you then kind of stay focused and, and make sure that you're managing your time accordingly? Yeah, it's, it's, it's a challenge, which you, when, so you start as you might expect, fair, fairly broad-based in terms of looking at lo lots of different opportunities. It's 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 easier, obviously, when you're looking at product lines because we know product lines, we know applications, and so we can look and see. Okay, we know the supplier, and we have them in. You know, we have the territory in the West, and we would like it in the mountain states, or we would like it in the East. That's that's very easy and 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 very straightforward. Um, it's on the M and A side where it gets a little bit more, I'll say difficult, but the focus is you, you end up um, with a, a broad pipeline because you see some co companies out there and they, they look like they could be interesting. But then as you start to dig into it, you realize, oh, okay, you know, it's not really a good fit because they're, 
they're different from us in, in a number of different ways. And so then those get kicked out and then you work on the ones that look like they do fit and you just continue to, to, to plug along. But yeah, to do one or two deals a year, you're probably starting with 30 or so um, potential targets to, to yield you know the, the one or two in the end because ultimately you have to find somebody who's potentially interested in selling their business um, and then you have to be able to come to terms in terms of you know valuation and, and all those sets of things so there are a, a number of different hurdles that you have to leap to be able to get from okay here's a set of possible targets at the top of the funnel to closed deal at the bottom of the funnel. That makes a lot of sense. And uh, specifically with inorganic growth uh, or M&A, so you're, you're looking to kind of roll up different potential kind of acquisition targets. Um, sometimes these things go really, really well. Sometimes they don't go so well. Could you tell us a little bit about kind of you know what what makes uh what makes things go well and what you know where things can kind of go off the rails yeah i mean fortunately we, you know we we have not had anything go off the rails we've done we we have also not done any really large acquisitions but i think that the few the things that really are important are it's it's doing the the groundwork and the hard work before, as early as possible so it's it's looking at things like okay how, how are the sales forces going to, if we have any overlap in the sales organization, how is that going to sort itself out? What's going to be the role of, the, what, do, what do the founders or owners or the, the executives of the company, what do they want to do? Do they want to stay? Do they not want to stay? Um, and then the other big one is, is just fit. It's this cultural fit. What, what's their mentality what kind of company are they what's their philosophy in terms of how they do business how they go to market how, how they're serving customers and really working on and looking at those issues as as, as early as possible so i think you know it, and then also uh people so just making sure that you're communicating to folks as early as you possibly can in terms of that yes, they will have a role and, you know, compensation and benefits and those sorts of things. Those things are, is you, it, it, it's easy to say that they're critical, but you can't emphasize enough how, how important those things are. It's, it's critical in, in, in all caps and making sure that you just, you, you stay out in front of that and don't let there be miscommunication or even a void in communications, you know, the nature abhors a vacuum, and if there's not communication, well, there will someone will fill it <laughs> with something. So better that we as management communicate, and 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 I think also just being honest and straightforward. At the end of the day, you you have to be straight up with people and and just let them know, hey, here's what's going on, here's what we know, here's what we don't know. Um, but those things we don't know, we're working on them. And here's when we think we will know. And here's, here's when we'll come back to you with answers or you know, uh, perspectives on, on some of these open issues. And, and we'll get into maybe the, the difference between 
call it the consulting setting for for that sort of thing and the real world setting in in, in a little bit. But um, before we jump off of semi-tour, I just kind of wanted to get your perspective on you know, you've had a few kind of changes in control, a few kind of different owners uh, of the company. Could you talk to us a little bit about how, maybe how that's been different with 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 each of the different groups that that has uh, has has invested in, in Semitor? Yeah, so River Lake was a was a, was a smaller Portland-based private equity group, um, and that's the vehicle via which I joined Semitor. Um, and then in 2018, we went through a change of control. And we're acquired by Transom Capital, who owned this for three years. And Transom is a is, just, is a is a bigger private equity group. River Lake was small, was a you know half dozen people or so uh, when they you know the, the whole organization. Um, River Lake was they were they were a good caretaker, um, and you know they they. Work with us through some some fairly difficult times. Like I said, you know, we we expanded pretty rapidly and pretty aggressively in in, in 2014. It was a combination of M and A and organic expansion, um, and it was it was the right thing to do and at, at, at the time. But it took us a while to to grow into that footprint, if you will. And River Lake was they're very patient and were very I guess. Well, they were very patient and worked very, very cooperatively with us. And and, and Transom was similar in that they. So I, I've got experience with you know with these two. So I, it, you know it's hard to generalize from you know from two data points. Um, Transom was also worked very well and very effectively with us. Uh, both both of them trusted us and, and me to run the company um, and our CFO as well. They. Um, you know, where, where things where we had issues and, you know, we had our issues along the way. They both engaged very productively, uh, very, very cooperatively. Transom was a little different in that they're a bigger entity. And so there are some things where if we wanted to do some targeted projects, if you will. So, for example, pricing was something that we wanted to work on. So they, they helped us find someone to come in and, and do some pricing work with us. They also were uh, very, they had resources to help us do business development or M&A development. So they had resources to do search, um, some initial screening and, and so on, where with River Lake, that was done more by you know, myself and my team. Um, but in, in both respects, like I said, um, they were both very, very professional, very trusting of, of us and, and of me. Um, and didn't you know? I understood what they want, you know, what they were shooting for, which was to deliver a return to their investors. So, but I, but I never felt like they were beating me up, you know, to deliver returns. It was always like, okay, here's the strategy. Here's what we're trying to do. We're trying to build this business. We're trying to grow. We're trying to diversify. Trying to establish a national footprint. And we believe out of that will come the the performance and the, you know, the sales, the gross profits and the, and the EBITDA. And you have to focus on the strategy and the execution and the performance will follow. And, and both of them abided by that strategy versus, okay, let's just squeeze as much blood from this rock as we possibly can. Part of the reason that I asked that is because one of the things that we're observing with the most successful middle market 
private equity firms is, and you met, you touched on two of these points, which is kind of patient and supportive partners. Um, and it, it's definitely, uh, it, I almost kind of like equated a little bit back to like your, your point on like suppliers. I, I think the, you know, the, the new world in the future is, is really kind of a, about more of that kind of supportive partnership versus kind of like the, let's call it like the, the, the bad stereotypes from 30 years ago about private equity. So that's that's very refreshing to hear. Um, and I guess kind of wanted to transition from your experience at Boston Consulting Group now to to to, sem- to Semitor. Um, I guess in general, how, you know, how did you feel prepared coming into the, the, the role and, and how did you feel maybe underprepared? I guess overall, I felt I felt pretty well prepared. Um you know, I, I worked with BCG for, for 18 years. So not only, and it was, it was funny when I moved to Portland as I was leaving BCG. So when I was in Warsaw, I ran the Warsaw office for like four years and, you know, and I was responsible for the whole office, right? So I was responsible for, you know, hiring and firing consulting staff and admin staff and, and all of that. And so I show up here in the West coast and I'm looking for, a potential you know management role and the response was what you hear pretty almost u- universally when you're transitioning out of consulting is well you've never run anything it's like well not not really i, I ran the warsaw office and i i had a PL and i had to hire and fire people yeah i didn't have a injection molded machine spitting out plastic parts but i still had a PL and i and i think the hardest thing of, of running any kind of call it business or entity is the people side of things. Um, but anyway, you know, looking back at my, my time at BCG, I think there are a few things that I think really helped me in my role at, at, at Semitor. And I would just even say kind of in, in life in general, which is first, I felt like it taught me how to train me how to think. So how to be a critical objective thinker, um, how to be an inductive thinker. So start with a hypothesis and then, you know, test, iterate and work on that. Um, and another part of that, and I would say maybe, maybe the, the best, if you want to call it a skill, is understanding people's motivations. Um, and this is something that I learned at, at BCG, you know, working, working with clients, um, understanding clients, but also understanding, just working, you know, when you work in strategy, you know, you're working on behalf of a client and then you're also looking at competition, right? And to be able to figure out, okay, what, what, are, the, what are these competitors doing? What you really need to do is understand well, why. why. Why are they doing what they're doing? Because if you can figure that out, then you can start to at least project, okay, what's step two going to be or what's step three? How are they going to respond to what we do? And it's the same thing with people. And I've always felt that people are, whether you want to say people, companies, or even countries are, are, are rational entities. And if you don't understand, if, they, if what they're doing seems to be irrational, it's just that you don't understand their incentives and their motivations. And that's something I felt like I really learned and honed at BCG. And I brought with me to Semitor, and I, I drive some of my colleagues crazy sometimes. Um, but it's it's really 
worked well, especially in M&A, where a lot of times, and you read about this in the business literature, someone's motivation may not be purely money. There may be something else in there. And if you can figure that out, you're a step further ahead towards being able to make the deal done without necessarily having to write a bigger check. Um, so that's that was a big part of it. And then on the on the people side, of, it's called people management. Um, I felt like I, what I learned at BCG working in consulting is at the end of the day, company that you know there, there's, there are companies obviously um, that are these organizing entities. But at the end of the day, you're working with people, and when you're working in consulting, you're working with a client, and the client is the person. Um, or a group of people, but ultimately you're working with a person. And that person may very well be taking some level of career risk in working with you. It's a highly visible project and management has a lot of, uh, you know, is, is watching. They're probably spend a lot, spending a lot of money on it. So there's, there's some career risk in this. You, you have to understand that when you're working in consulting and, and working with, with other individuals. And it's the same thing like we talked about earlier with you know, working with suppliers. You're, you're working with people. They have careers. They have goals. There's things they're trying to accomplish. You, It behooves you to engage on that and understand what's going on here. What, what's this person? You know, who are they? Uh, and what are they trying to accomplish? What's their career? What are their goals? And, and so on. And just, you know, working on that and and uh, engaging in that and trying to, to help them. So I'd say those, those couple things in terms of, like, like I said, like how to think, be a critical, logical thinker and, and, and working with people, I think, are what prepared me pretty well for, you know, working at Semitor. And then, the, you know, the flip side is, um, you know, where did I feel like I was, was less prepared? Um, I'd, I'd say in the... In, in the nitty gritty of, of running a business. So you work in consulting, you work at BCG or, you know, wherever, and you, you're, you, know, you, you may get into a certain amount of, of detail, but you're still working at a, at a somewhat high level. Now, my transition is different than other people's may be in that I, I joined, you know, a company is on the order of, you know, 20, 30 million in revenue, right? I didn't join you know, a hundred million, two hundred million dollar business or a one million dollar business. So, I'm in there on on a day to day basis, sometimes figuring out, okay, how are we going to get, how, how are we going to package and ship all this product, or how you know we're short two people in this area, how how are we going to get them in in the early days? And like I talked about, you know, living and breathing the cash the cash management. That was something that I learned quickly. Uh, at Semitor that I didn't, I just didn't appreciate working at BCG because you know even if you're doing turnaround or anything like that, at the end of the day, you're not the one who's sitting there thinking, oh good grief, if this if we don't collect from these customers, we're not going to make payroll next week. You know that type of thing. It's just it's just different when you're right there um, at the point of the spear on some of these things versus if you're one step away in, in a consulting role. One of the things you, you talked about kind of feeling prepared for and, and a theme of this 
conversation is motivation. So it's it's interesting. You've you've picked it up from a supplier perspective. You've picked it up from an acquisition target perspective. Employees, clients of yours at BCG. What advice would you give to folks that don't? that this doesn't necessarily come natural to them. What do you mean when you say this doesn't come natural to them? Understanding motivation, do you mean? Yeah, so it, it, it seems like you're kind of at least proactive, uh, if, if not predispositioned to think about the other person or other party's perspective. And I, and I think that's been a core theme of kind of a lot of your success. And I've worked with a lot of folks that where that doesn't necessarily kind of come naturally to them. And just kind of curious if you have any advice. My advice would be to run straight to it uh, and, and, and just understand and at a certain level say, look, um, think about, think about how you would like to be treated, right? How, how, if someone is just um, treating you like a cog in the machine, if you will, and say, Hey, you know, I, I want more, more, more or whatever it is versus, um, you know, hey, how can we work together? Um, hey, Ken, you know, uh, you know, what are your goals? What, what are you trying to do? Tell me what, you know, what not, what makes you tick? I mean, you're not going to get into, you know, psychoanalysis, but I think, you know, for, for folks to, for whom that doesn't come naturally, um, I think it's just one of those things you just have to stop and think about it and just be more explicit about it because it, it really is important in, in, in whatever you do. And in fact, you know, even in relationships, right. Un, un, being empathetic and understanding the other person's perspective is, is a good contributor to more effective communication, whether it's with your spouse or your kids or your boss or your client or your supplier or your customer or, or whomever. And so I would just flag that as to say, Hey, in my opinion, this, this is something that's core to being effective in, in whatever you're doing. And if you feel like it doesn't come naturally to you, sure, that's obviously people are different, but at least be aware of it. And, and also think of, and also be aware of, and this also has helped me and still helps me, which is if you look at, look at indicators, which is, Hey, you know, this person, is, is responding in an unproductive way or I'm feeling you know, some heat in their communication. Why? Right. And, and be, be self-critical and try to pull yourself. That's something else I think that the BCG helped teach me, which is pull yourself out of the situation, right? Pull your emotions out, pull your ego out and just look at it objectively and critically and step away and, and observe from a distance, if you will, and see what's going on and make your own assessment and say, okay, why, why is this happening? And what am I, what's my role in making this happen the way it's happening? And if it's not happening the way I want it to, what can I do differently? Now you may not, you know, obviously you can't control all elements of every situation and you look at it and say, well, there's not really much I can do about that. So you say, okay, I'm going to let that go as it is. And work on the things that you can control and that you can change. I like that advice, especially around just you know if you if you see a fire, run run towards it and you know <laughs> figure it out versus kind of waiting six seven months for it to. That's right, and in fact that that was something I remember. I was in my my third year at BCG. I was a brand new project leader, 
um, you know, still you know, very, very unsure about just my role and how I was doing. And I was working for um, an almost partner who's an amazing guy. Um, and whatever it was, there was some little fire, right? Something was brewing and it was not, didn't seem like it was very good. And I didn't want to say anything, didn't want to say anything. And then finally, I realized, you know, looking at some past experience, little fires rarely go out on their own. They only turn into bigger fires. So the, the, then in my mind, I'm like, okay, Kevin, you can either raise it now and say, hey, I have this little fire. Here's my thinking of how to address it or not say anything. And then a week or two weeks time say, hey, <laughs> here's this bigger fire. Which of those do I think is a better course to take and the, you know when you look at it that way it's obvious that uh, makes a ton of sense and and I'm, I'm chuckling a little because I think we can all think about experiences in our lives where where we've kind of ignored the little fires uh, for, for for better or worse um, and um, I, I guess um, you know lastly just you know when it comes to consulting right so you, you, you did it for, for quite a while um, and and successfully kind of transitioned out of it. What advice would you have for folks that are currently in consulting and, and, and maybe considering a, a career change, um, most specifically as to a private equity portfolio company? You know, I would say it's look for people and cultural fit is an underweighted factor in how people look at opportunities. There, you know, you look at Okay, the you know the company and the role and and the wood to chop you know that you're gonna you're gonna have in, in your role, um, but you also have to look at you know who who am I gonna be working with, you know what's it gonna be like to work with them, what's the culture of the organization, because um, you know in, in my experience and, and I've I've been fortunate to be on the kind of the, the plus plus side of this, but you can you know you could say there's the there's kind of the, the content of the work, which is, you know, it can be industry and topics and things you're working on. And then there's the, called the, the environment of the work, which is people and management and, and, and all of that. And in, in my experience, if I had to, in hindsight, looking back, if I have to give one to have the other, I would actually give a little bit on the content to have the people and the environment and the management versus the other way around. Because it's there have been a few times in my career where for whatever the situation, um, you know, the, the environment was not very good. And even though the work was interesting, I did not get up in the morning excited to go into work. I'd have a knot in my stomach um, because of the the you know the environment and the you know the call the people uh, side of the, the environment. I think that's right. I can even think to experiences uh, of mine when, you know, I was in the Middle East or something on a consulting project and it, not not necessarily fun environment or fun content, but um, the, the, the people that I worked with, it, it, we still managed to have a, you know, it, it, like you said, you, you woke up looking forward to work as opposed to dreading it. Uh, I think that's great advice. <laughs> Um, 
Very good. And then um, I, I guess lastly, um, just because we're all we're all a bunch of former consultant nerds, uh, we're always trying to build up a library, Kevin, of uh, book recommendations that uh, our, our guests have. Um, no pressure here, but would love to see if you have any uh, suggestions in terms of books that you would suggest for our audience. A couple. So one that I, I really enjoyed. I, I don't read much. I don't, in fact, I read almost no business books. Um so that's makes makes me I think maybe a little bit different because I just feel like I have enough business at work. So when I'm not at work, I'm reading other stuff. Um, one I don't know if I, it's not even a really necessarily a business book. So uh, it's a book called Thinking Fast and Slow uh, by Daniel Kahneman, and it's about um, behavioral economics. And it's it's just really fascinating, even if you're not a business person or whatever in in the how the the research that they did in terms of how, how people make decisions and it kind of pulls a few threads on just classic microeconomic theory and and, and, and decision theory and, it, and it's it's so it's it, it's it's relevant in the world of business and, and microeconomics and it's just it's an interesting read to look at the the psychology of, of people and then the the other book I really enjoyed. I read quite some time ago. It's a it's a biography of George Washington. It's called Washington. It's by Ron Chernow. In fact, he won the Pulitzer Prize for it. Um, he also wrote Hamilton, that was the basis for the very famous uh, play. Um, and it's just you know it's it's a long book. It's like almost nine hundred pages, but it's just it's it's very it's it's fascinating, <laughs> and it's uh it's just interesting to see what was going on back then in, in a way it makes it makes you feel a little bit better about what's going on today because you know there there was uh backstabbing and just all kinds of machinations going on you know back when he was you know in the process of, of becoming president but it's just it's just interesting to see you know to read about his life just you know on a standalone basis um it's very well written and like i said it just it it just lays out to me, what will surprise you know, you, you, history tends to make it seem like the founding fathers were, you know, this just group of men who got together and everybody got along and everything was perfect, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, everyone got along. I mean, they had some, they had some, they had some differences. They ironed things out, and yeah, you know, there was there was plenty of cloak and dagger and backstabbing. So those would be the the, the my the, the two books that I tend to bring up when when people ask me. Oh, that's cool, and 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 both those both those reads are uh, are are quite weighty in terms of page count. So uh, thanks, uh, I like those suggestions. Um, well, good stuff. Um, and then Kevin, uh, I guess you know from from your perspective, if somebody wanted to learn a little bit more about Semitor or or yourself, uh, what would be the best way to do that? I mean, about myself, they could go into they could go to my you know LinkedIn profile. I I can, I can never remember what our what our website is. Uh, I think it's, it's uh, semitorinc.com. I don't imagine we'll have a uh, a lot of a, a lot of uh, potential customers <laughs> listening. Yeah, so if, so if people want to learn see about Semitor, they can go to our website, which is uh, semitorinc.com. 
Excellent. Um, well, thanks so much for joining, Kevin. Really appreciate it. Um, and for those of our listeners that uh, are interested in hearing future episodes, make sure to subscribe to Spotify or Apple. Uh, you can also catch past episodes on beyondconsulting.info. And lastly, if you want to get in touch with us, it's going to be eca-partners.com. But until next week, we will talk to you then. Thanks so much. Thanks so much.